And then turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And as you're going there, I'll give you kind of the intro to today. Uh, we wrap up. And also, let me say this. Uh, we count. If you have the phone app, that counts. So go ahead and you can scroll to that too. You won't get judged here. Um, except for by some of the really conservative people. So I'm just kidding. Uh, but not really. Anyway, so uh, turn to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, here's what we're doing. We're wrapping up the book of Philippians today. So we've taken the summer to preach to this letter I think it's been a gift. Uh, have you guys enjoyed going through this letter? Okay, so it was okay. Great. Um, then we will send you some further resources, okay? Because this, this for us, I think, was a profound opportunity for us to be shaped by the Word of God. There are things that I realized. I went back and I started in Philippians 1. I just reread the letter every day uh, this week as we were kind of wrapping up the series, wrapping up this letter and just thinking through, man, how, how would the people of God, the church in Philippi, how would they have received this letter from Paul? Because guess what? They didn't probably take 12 weeks to break down kind of passage by passage in necessarily the way that we do it. They didn't gather kind of on Sundays to come together to kind of understand. Someone showed up, they read the letter to the church, and the church engaged and then they had some discussions about it continually and how it might apply to their lives. And so as I went back and read it, here's, here's honestly what I thought. Based on conversations with our staff, stuff I know that we pray for our church and for y'all on a frequent basis, this is honestly, this is a letter we would write to you. Like, like if, if we were apart, and we're going to learn a little bit of this, this history here, but they were apart for about 10 years here. They had stayed in correspondence. There was support going back and forth. For about 10 years, they hadn't been together. But there was such this beauty of relationship and community that they remained in contact. They remained in support. And so Paul writes this letter, hear me, knowing he's not too far from his own death. And so I began to think through, like, okay, church, what are we trying to do here in this city? Like, what are we trying to accomplish here in the city of Flagstaff? What are we trying to do as the church in our world today? And honestly, like, this letter for me has just been so absolutely necessary. And so I want to highly encourage you to go back this week as we recap this series and go through it to reread the letter, right? And to go through and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us in the midst of it. So we wrap it up with a few tools that, that I think Paul gives us in light of the overarching mission of the letter, which we decided was what? was that Paul was calling the church to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus. That, that, that was the central purpose. And hear me, we're now you know, 12 weeks into this thing, or we're 10 weeks into this thing. Has that actually happened for any of us? Because hear me, it's, it's easy for us to show up on a Sunday, we listen, we go, we don't actually see any transformation happen. My hope really at the beginning of the series is that we would get to week, this last week of the series and at the least there would be this understanding and this desire in our hearts that the primary, okay, the primary calling of the life of the Christian is that we would live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so listen, none of us have arrived, right? We're not there. But my question is, do you buy into that? Have you guys begun to check into, okay, the primary responsibility of my life is to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Now, this is not live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus that you might earn the gospel of Jesus, that you might earn salvation, like do all the right stuff, live a life worthy, do everything you're supposed to so that God will love you. It's, you know, the gospel has so informed my life. Jesus has so transformed my life and my mind. 
that the number one desire for me is that I would live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus and everything that that means. And so I think at the end of his letter, what we would call chapter 4, I think over the last two weeks, he gave us two different tools to do that well, and I think he's going to give us three more today. And we'll have these five tools that we kind of have in this tool belt, if you will, to actually give our best shot at living lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Two weeks ago, I think at the heart of it was this idea of prayer. Real simple, talk to Jesus, right? Do not be anxious, but in everything through prayer and supplication, present your request to God. That we pray and go to Jesus. And then last week, that we'd meditate and that we would think upon the things that are good and true, honorable, commendable. We said, ultimately, that is the definition of God in Jesus. And where do we learn the most about him would be in our scriptures. So listen, our first two tools, two weeks ago, prayer, this last week, the scriptures, and then today we get three more. And when we apply these things, that we would be a people not individually, but that corporately, the world would look to us and say, you know what that looks like? That looks like Jesus. That's the hope of the church. That's why we do this. That's why we preach. So that being said, um, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, and we'll begin to see kind of the first, this first one take shape. We're not going to go very far. So Philippians 4.10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Stop there. We'll get to the rest in just a little bit. The third tool that we have, I think, in living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus is to rejoice, is to celebrate, is to worship, is to sing, is to praise. And I just wonder, how often do we do that? Like, like how often do we take some time to intentionally press in and be intentional with rejoicing. Like, like generally, hear me, generally we rejoice when? When something really good happens. When we get the promotion. When we get, uh, right, when you, when you take out and put on pants from the laundry and you find 20 bucks in the pocket, right? It's like, he's good and he's faithful, right? Like we tend to just rejoice in these moments that are very reactive to the circumstance of life. But we're going to see, I'm going to run through every instance where Paul in the book of Philippians talks about how and why he rejoices. And so let's run through this. I don't think they're on the screen, so just follow along with me. Jot them down if you're a note taker. Philippians 1.18 says, What then? Only that in every way, in other pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So no matter what's going on, if Jesus is celebrated, heralded, and proclaimed, I rejoice. Verse 19, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, that God is in control. He is the one that will deliver. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So even if we're poured out, if there's nothing left of us, if we have nothing, we are brought low, we rejoice. Okay, continuing on, verse 28 of chapter 2. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. We rejoice in community. We rejoice with the one another's, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4 of chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, rejoice. And then today, I rejoiced in the Lord 
greatly. The last three rejoices. He says rejoice eight times in his letter to the church in Philippi. And the last three, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord greatly. So he's covered every basis. Hear me that no matter what's going on, we should rejoice. Whether I'm brought low or whether things are good, but ultimately all of that joy, where does it find its focus? It finds its focus in Jesus Christ. We rejoice in him. And hear me, like when we come and sing, and we sing what? Usually three songs on the front end, three songs on the back end. And we tend to sing, and I get that there's, there's some engagement with it. We tend to sing the words. What's going on in your soul, friends? Like, what's going, is there this celebration? Because I know the words we sing, I know the words and the songs that Johnny chooses are all about God, Jesus, and, and honestly, hear me, right theology even. So should there not be this splendor and this awe and this celebration amongst the people as we sing? Should it not be like, Oh my gosh, like, do you see what he's done? Like, these are not just words, these are truths. So we go and we enter into all of these different spaces, and I'm super guilty of this, right? So if I go to a Saints game, I'm celebrating when they score, and it gets weird. You start hugging strangers, right? You're high-fiving people you wouldn't talk to otherwise, but because they're wearing the Saints jersey, you're celebrating. Sometimes you'll go to a concert, and people are singing, and you're throwing up some signs, and you shouldn't throw up that one. That thing, that's satanic. Don't do that one, but you get what I'm saying, okay? And you're celebrating. Yeah, go. And again, you're scrunched up against, like, right, all of these people swaying awkwardly. you got strangers sweating on you, but you're still so ecstatic. And yet here, it's like our shoulders are broken. Like, don't touch me, Christian. Right? Like, heaven forbid your hand would be raised and someone else's and they would touch. Right? I've seen it happen where they do this. You're like, oh, can't do that anymore. Can't do that anymore. We're talking about the God who became man, lived the life we could not live, died the death we deserve to die, and beat and defeated Satan's sin to death to give us new life. And we're sheepish. And so this, hear me, it's not about like how y'all do it. I don't care if you dance, if you stand still, if you got hands up or down. That's, but I just wonder, I just honestly wonder, what's going on in our hearts? Like, do we just see these songs, we hear these songs, and we don't actually take time to intentionally know, I will celebrate and rejoice these truths. And that's for 45 minutes, one day a week. Paul's like, listen, whatever's going on in life, wherever you're at, whatever's going on, whatever you're doing, rejoice, 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 rejoice. Celebrate and praise. It's the third tool. Listen, we want to live lives that reflect the gospel of Jesus, that are worthy. We got to be proactive in our celebration. We have to know what we're celebrating, that we might continue to press into it and live for it. Okay, let's continue. The next one. Uh, starting back in verse 10, and we'll, we'll reveal kind of the second little 
gift and tool that Paul gives us. So here we go. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and know how to abound. And in, every, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now be real, okay? How many people have used that verse and written it on some shoe or pillow or some form of whenever you're about to go conquer something in life, that's the verse you go to, okay? We're going to circle back to that, but I just want you to, that's one of those famous verses in all the scripture. But we're going to look at the context of that verse. Because the third tool that we get, or sorry, the fourth, if you will, prayer, Bible, rejoicing, worship, gratitude, that type of stuff. The fourth one is this internal peace and contentment that we can have. Contentment. Now, Webster's identifies and defines contentment as a state of happiness and sufficiency. What's important, I think, if we look at the, the Greek, right, to be that, that fancy this morning. If we look at the Greek terminology, it literally means to have enough. To have enough. Like, I have enough. I'm content. I, I don't need more. I have enough of what I have now. The present is good enough. And if the present changes, that new present is still good enough. I have enough. And so let's look at contentment. We have this kingdom contentment, and we have a little five little dealies that I think we should press into. The first one is, listen, contentment is learned. Okay? Contentment is learned. We'll get to those in a second. That's the not dependent on. It is dependent on you learning it. Okay. And so hear me, we'll, we'll go through some stuff, and you'll be like, well, gosh, it's, it's not that easy. No, it's not. Paul's not like, hey, just, just do this stuff. He says, learn this stuff. Practice this stuff. Spend time taking in the realities, the information, the experiences of contentment that you might become a contented person. But again, like how often are we, I think we just expect contentment to happen to us and it doesn't work that way. Life will go and contentment is something you need to grab. You need to learn it. And so let's break down the four different ways contentment is not dependent on stuff. The first one, contentment is not dependent on met or unmet needs. I was like, listen, I, I, I learned that no matter what I have or don't have, if the needs are met or not, I, I've learned contentment in these places. And here's what's interesting for us. Most of our needs, and this is not true for everyone, that's absolutely true, but for most of us in the room, our needs are met, right? Most of us in the room, we have food every day when we want it, or we have access to it when we want to get it. Same goes for shelter. Right? Basic needs, those are provided for us. And so I don't think we're often too discontent with the needs because they're always provided. I mean, we, we take it to a level of we're discontent with our wants and our desires. My wants aren't fulfilled, and so I can't know contentment because I don't have enough. I need more. And I need more. And once I have all that, then I want a little bit more, right? This is kind of the reality of our culture and our world that says, no, 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 get yours, continue, build your life. 
Build your stuff. We just recently moved. Has anyone moved in the last year, just by chance? By chance? How much extra bat, How much extra stuff did you have? I wanted to say CRAP, but how much extra bad stuff did you have in your house that was just completely unnecessary? We start unpacking stuff. We're, we're putting stuff in boxes, and you look at it like, why did we buy this? Oh, it was a lightning deal. Like, that's, that's usually the answer. Oh, why did we buy this? Oh, it, it was on sale. Right? What? You just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And that's just what we do. Paul's saying, forget the wants and desires. You don't even have an expectation for those. He's saying, listen, if, if I get my needs met, yes or no, I've learned contentment. And hear me, I'm not there. I want that, though. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that like sound pretty good, right? That you could step back from life regardless of, of what's going on. Like what's been provided you. It's like, no, I'm good. I have enough. That's going to make more and more sense as we go through the list. This, the second one, okay? Uh, so first, again, come in, not dependent on met or unmet needs. Uh, the second one, contentment is not dependent on circumstance. So again, so what's, what's Paul saying? He's like, dude, I, I could be low or I could be high. I could be up or I could be down. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. I could be in prison, which he was, or I could be out of prison. I could be provided for or not provided for, regardless of circumstance and situation, context or environment. I'm content. I'm content. I have enough. This is enough. We get fidgety all the time. Is this, is this the right house? Is this the right church? Is this the right home? Is this the right school? Is this the right marriage? Is this the right relationship? Is this the right, right? On and on. We can just add these things on. Paul says, no, I don't care where I'm at, what's going on, what's happening to me. I have enough. Again, this is very peculiar and is completely opposite. Absolutely everything you and I have been taught since we've been born. It's if there's a problem, you don't like it, fix it and make it better. And so we chase and we chase and we chase and we run that rat race. And guess what? When you get there, you just go back to number one. You're not content. You want more. The third one. Contentment is not dependent on emotion. This goes back to last week we talked about what you know must trump what you feel. Because the reality, and this is, I'm an emotional person, okay? I, I like to pretend, Verity will tell you, that I'm not. Inside is this raging inferno, okay? Like it's Dante's like level seven. And we like to just say, well, no, we'll, we'll just set that stuff to, to the side. No, our emotions cannot dictate our contentment because if they do, believe me, you'll never be there. You'll, just, you'll never be content if your emotions get a rule of the day. It just won't happen. Now, hear me. That's not an attack on emotions. Again, I got them all going. We need to process through that. They're healthy and they're beautiful. All that stuff's true. But they cannot rule the day because there's going to come times in life where things are going to hurt. 
and people are going to hurt you. They're going to treat you poorly. They're going to say things about you that are bad. Some true, some untrue, which makes it even more difficult, right? And so we get hurt, and that's real. We step into that. We process through that. We take that to Jesus, but it cannot rule us. The fourth, one, the fourth one, contentment is not dependent on, and hear me, this is most important. Contentment is not dependent on you. And this is why the rest of them are even possible. Okay? All that stuff, the, listen, that, that first three, I hear that list and I say, dude, I, I, can't, I can't get it. I can't fulfill that list. I've tried and I've strived and I've worked at it. And I've told myself, don't let your emotions rule you, Vince, but they do and you still fight, right? I've told myself I don't need that thing, but then I still bought it. Contentment, praise the Lord, is not dependent on you. It's dependent on him. This is why uh, verse 13 of chapter 4 of the book of Philippians is so vitally important. Because it's not about you achieving, it's about him achieving on your behalf. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is not a verse for your achievement. I remember uh, back when I was far thinner and used to rock climb, um, we, were, we were climbing out at Point Doom in Malibu, California. And there's this sweet route. I had never been able to do a 512 up to that point, which if you don't know what that is, it's not that great. There's, there's like kids in here that I know can crush that with their eyes closed. But for me, I was like, this is, this is difficult. It's a sweet spot. If you fall backwards and kind of push off, you'll land in the ocean type of thing. It's really sick. And so I see this 512, and I just can't get it, right? And I remember talking to my buddy Sean, and he has a tattoo, and it's of a dude holding on. <laughs> to a rock, because he's a big rock climber, and underneath it, it says Philippians 4.13. Okay. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I, Sean's like, dude, you can do it. And I'm like, no, I can't. He goes, no, you can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I didn't do it, okay? Failed miserably. I got like two moves up. Didn't work great, okay? Here's the reality of life. You can't do everything. You just can't. Most of you, there's probably more stuff you can't do than you can do, okay? That's just the reality of life, and you need to be okay with that. There's certain things about my life, my personality, and my build that will not allow me to do certain things in life, okay? So set your mind. No, forget all that, guys. Let that go. Instead, pursue Jesus. Because there is nothing that Jesus could not do. And that remains true to this day because, well, guess what? He's God. Everything you and I want to achieve, he thought up achievement. He, he conjured up achievement. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is a banner line for Paul in the midst of whatever life may bring I can't do everything, but I can be content in everything. Why? Because Jesus. Because Jesus. And it's like almost a period. Why? Because Jesus. 
We've gone over this list before, right? But because Jesus says that I'm justified and righteous, I need not seek my justification or righteousness from y'all or from my wife or from my kids or from the watching world. Because Jesus says that I am loved, I need not seek love. It's a good thing to have it. Don't worry. We're going to talk love and community in a minute. But I need not strive and do everything I can to get it. Why? Because I am fully loved and fully valued. Because the Bible and Scripture and Jesus tells me I am created in the image of God. I need not seek my own identity and value. Because he is the one that has procured that for me when he made me. When he formed me together. Right? When he, he, he got all of the spare parts and he formed me together in Sam Garvey's womb, right? He puts the value. I need not, I need not, I need not, because, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I can be content in all things. And hear me, why is this important in living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus? Because guess what? Living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus is not easy. We've made it easy. It's not supposed to be. We, we've stripped it from some of its candor. We've stripped it from its engagement. We've privatized it. We've done all, that's a whole other sermon that's actually coming in like two weeks, so that's why I'm just getting a little soapboxy. Christianity calls you to love your enemy. Is that easy? It, should, it shouldn't be. At least not the way that we often think. It calls you to die to self. It calls you to all of these specifics that fall underneath that. It calls you to clean the dishes when your roommates haven't, right? For the 15th time. It calls you when someone cuts you off on the road to not do what I do and try and pull them over and ask them how their day's doing okay? in a forceful way. A life worthy of the gospel of Jesus. If, you, if we open up the scriptures, and they're going to cause us, like we've talked about throughout this letter, to willingly enter into suffering. To enter into the places where we forsake self for the sake of other. Some super popular message. Hey, come be a Christian. We're going to ask you to die to self, serve the other, even at your own detriment. But is that not the way of our Lord? If we want a fighting chance to be those type of people, Lord, we better be content with what we have right now. Because the constant striving will pull us from that mission. Okay? The last tool we get in this, uh, in this last little passage, and again, this is Paul kind of signing off to this letter. The last chance he gets to inform and write to his people, and he gives us this, this last tool, and we'll, we'll unveil it in a second. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Again, just a little insight into the relationship. It's been 10 years, and this partnership had continued. If you go to Acts chapter 16, we talked about this in the beginning of the series, but you'll see the birth of the Philippian church. Paul goes to Philippi, and he begins to preach the gospel. He meets this prominent wealthy woman named Lydia, and out of that, more converts in the church is birthed, the first church in Europe, and the gospel expands outward. And from that day until 10 years later, Paul in prison is still receiving support from them. That's why he even says at the start of the passage we looked at today, I know, and you've longed for this. You've longed for the correspondence. You've longed for our engagement, but I've been on the road. I've been doing stuff. You didn't even know where I was, but now I'm settled in prison. And so you've sent some stuff. Thank you. And so our our last tool, hear me again, prayer. Scriptures, Bible, right? Rejoicing, celebration, worship, gratitude. We just went over. And now lastly, community. We have each other. If we want to live lives worthy of the gospel, listen, you just can't go this Jesus thing alone. You just just can't. You need people. And hear me, here's the the real hard part. You need people that are different from you. That don't always think the way you think. Aren't always just going to say yes to whatever idea you have. It's one of the things I love about our staff and our elder board. There's oftentimes widespread disagreement on stuff in both of those places. There's oftentimes... Vince turns out another idea of something we should do, and usually there's a consensus by the staff that's a terrible idea. Okay? There are so many things they have spared you from, you have no idea. Okay? Like I, I just churn stuff out. On our elder board, there's, there's things, there's decisions always being made and thought of about the direction and vision of this church. Stuff we'll say, won't say. Stuff that's important to us, not important to us. And I'll tell you what, it, it's not always super calm but it's always about Jesus. It's always about us trying to live lives and lead a church that is worthy of the calling and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's break down this last little bit and we'll be done. This last little tool, this kingdom community piece. The first one, community is involved. Okay? Um, In other words... It's not distant. It is in your face and present with one another. We, we often kind of, you know, we'll do this, this like kind of at distance, at length thing. Maybe we'll shoot a text. Normally what it is I see on a Sunday, I say, I'll pray for you. We don't often pray, right? Community is intentional and involved with each other. 10 to 15 years of consistent investment and involvement between Paul and this church. They were in each other's lives. The next one, community bears each other's burdens. This is somewhat obvious, right? We're supposed to bear each other's burdens, but hear me. We're supposed to bear each other's burdens even outside our excess. Philippian church, hear me, it's not they were crushing it. Okay. It's not like they just had this overwhelming amount of finances to constantly be sending money to Paul all the way in Rome. It's not they always were able to give this stuff away. 
No, in sacrifice, they saw a need and they filled it. So in provision and in presence, community bears one another's burdens. When there's needs in the church, we help find the money to supply it. Okay? It's that simple. And hear me, I want to I say really, you guys have been amazing at this. Like this is not a let's, let's say a nice thing because we want to say a nice thing. It's a gratitude thing right now. We, off, we ask a lot of you guys. We're always parading different options of stuff to give to. We do flag 10. We do an Advent offering. We ask you to give here faithfully. We're constantly bringing it. We got like a bake sale or two every month. There's always stuff. And hear me. I am literally always overwhelmed by the generosity of this community. But I still think we can do better. And, and, and that's, that's, an, that's on me. Like, I'm looking at myself and saying, like, uh, no, I'm, I'm more generous than the average Christian in America, which gives 2.7% of their income. That's the, the stat to work with. Uh, I do better than 2.7%. I, I, I want to... I wanna, I want to do better than 2.7. I want to do better than 5. I want to do better than 10. Uh, like there, there's just this, this desire and this movement for me to want to be in a place where generosity marks absolutely everything, even at the sacrifice of self. Now, I always have to say this, which stinks, but just so you understand, I'm not saying, listen, feed your family, provide for your family. They are your first ministry if you're married and you have that. If you're single, don't, you should just fast all year round and just give, just, no. Just, what does it look like for us to be even more radically generous? To bear one another's burdens, not just in provision, but then also in presence. Listen, the Philippian church, I think we can oftentimes like, we'll look back at the church. I mean, this is like early, or like mid to late first century, right? When Paul's writing this. It's not like the church, they didn't have mega churches, okay? Like they didn't have just pastors on pastors on pastors and staff members on staff members on staff. They had a bunch of working people trying to glorify Jesus and spread the gospel in their region. And for them to send Epaphroditus all the way to visit Paul would have been a sacrifice of relationship and presence. As someone that was probably doing a lot in their community. But they said, no, Paul, I'm willing to give you this person in this time. So again, we will lay down and, and sacrifice that detriment to self. Why? That others might have their needs met. Continuing on, community, this one's obvious, is about people, okay? It's about people. We, we can f- kind of fake our way into believing that we're in the community when we have no real interaction with human beings. Because this thing called social media. We think we have people we're close to, but we're not all that close. They don't really know us. And people are complex. And since people are complex, since each people are people and human beings that have real emotions, real feelings, real stories, community can be really messy. But again, I think that's a good thing. Because the messiest people around us, they're going to form us to be like Christ. Because what did Jesus do if not come down into this mess with a bunch of messy people? 
Don't, don't, try to, don't try and button up the community around you to look like you, act like you, and make your life easy. That's not, that's not community. That's, well, hear me. That's community. That's not biblical community. The Bible is going to call us to a community that will shape us and move us to shape those around us. The last one. Community done rightly pleases God. Paul wraps up this letter, to God be the glory. When we love each other, we engage with one another, when we bear each other's burdens, we press into one another, when we do this thing well, God gets the glory. Because it's just not how people live their lives these days. We don't often live lives for the person we don't know. It's what Christ did, what he calls the church to do as well. In fact, we, we live our lives for the sake of the enemy. We love the enemy. Very different. Very countercultural. And hopefully in this series, what we've seen Paul do is try and kind of cause us to unlearn some of the bad habits. Unlearn some of the false doctrine that we've adopted. Unlearn some of the false stories and narratives that have so gripped us and told us this is the way life is. This is what we value. And we have begun to cling to the things of the kingdom of God. This is who we are as the church. That's the idea. Again, that we live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two more things, four more minutes. Hang in there. Um, this one's a bit lighthearted, but uh, every Friday I take my boys, and uh, me and Verity will take the boys out to go to uh, uh, Harkin's summer movie club with the kids, you know which is just absolute chaos, right? Kids are screaming. There's, you'll get hit by popcorn, icy spill down your back, that type of thing. It's delightful. And so, so every Friday we do this. And so this last week, the, uh, the movie that they showed was Trolls. Anybody seen Trolls by chance? Good movie. Um, I've seen Trolls very, 700 times. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just, it, for a while in our life, it just played on repeat. Either the movie was on... Uh, or the song was playing. That makes us sound like terrible parents. We're decent parents. But that being said, Trolls was playing. I'm sitting in the theater watching this. Verity's there. Kids are screaming. And I am crying. Right? Like just tears streaming down my face at the end of Trolls. Okay? Now, if you don't know, I'm going to give it away. So if you hadn't seen it, that's on you. It's not really a spoiler. It's a cartoon. They win. Right? So... Um, <laughs> So you get to the end of the movie, and, and, and the trolls, there's, like, if you eat them, you're happy. And so these, these little monsters, I can't remember the call, they, they eat the trolls, and then they're happy. Yes, exactly. So, um, so at the end of the movie, though, they, they win, and, you know, they're not going to get eaten anymore, and they begin to transform this community that is around them. This community that, if you watch through the movie, is depressed and sad, broken, dark, and without hope. And then all of a sudden, the trolls show up, and in the way they love one another, and in the way they forgive the community around them, in the way they serve them and sacrifice them, they go back into the little dungeon area, and at sacrifice and potential loss of life, they enter in and begin to preach good news of hope and of joy, the gospel. And what begins to happen is one by one, these, these trolls begin, or these uh, gorg organs begin to become happy, right? 
and they begin to kind of turn from their sadness and their brokenness, and they begin to say, but could I be happy too? Could I be happy too? What about me? Could I be happy too? And they're like, yes. And then Justin Timberlake sings Can't Stop the Feeling, and it's amazing. Okay, so. <laughs> and the movie ends with them dancing in the streets, and everywhere the trolls dance, all of the dreary colors begin to turn to a beautiful rainbow. And hear me, I am sobbing. It has nothing to do with the movie and everything to do with, God, that's who we're supposed to be. That everywhere this church is, sadness should turn to joy. Death should turn to life. Brokenness should be turned to restoration. Where it's dreary, color should return. Because the presence of God is in and amongst his people. We are the temple of God. So when we go, God goes. Where God goes, life is. So would we so be that? As silly as the illustration. Will we be that type of people? individually and corporately, that we might transform the world around us for his glory. And he's given us the tools to do it, namely his spirit inside of us that causes us to pray, to get into the scriptures, okay? To, to, to really meditate and be in that day and night that moves us to rejoicing. We're gonna sing two songs. I don't know what all three songs. I know two. One of them's called Rejoice, Okay? If you can't sing to a song that's named Rejoice in light of what Jesus has done, now you may be just shy. <laughs> but we're going to sing. We rejoice. We're going we're gonna to live content lives. We're going to be in community. He's given us the tools to do this. Let us pursue them. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, mercy, love, and hope that you've given us. Bless us, Lord, as we get to sing, and we get to celebrate, we get to encourage one another. That the lives that we get to live, God, would be lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus that has saved us and redeemed us, that reflect and give glory to our God in heaven, that has done everything we could not do and did on our behalf. So, Lord, would you... Strengthen us, God, to be a content people, focused on serving one another, speaking with you and knowing your word. Might we celebrate together as a family as we sing and take communion, respond to your good word. God, that we'd be sent from this place for your glory, for the mission you've given us. God, we love you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.